Welcome to the official Fidget Spinner podcast, <laughs> brought to you by the Fidget Spinner News Network. <laughs> Tune into FSNN. <laughs> it's spinning. It's spinning. episode of Make Movies Coast to Coast podcast. Sugoi. 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 So, yeah, everybody, this is the first episode of our podcast Make Movies Coast to Coast. Uh like we said, we are a group of nerds who love talking about movies. You might have heard us on our YouTube channel uh, e Licky Movie Talks. This will also be on any other place that will take it. Like and subscribe. <laughs> so maybe in the dumpster behind your house. Uh, we'd like to talk about movies, obviously, but we in this podcast are going to have some discussions more based around the meta-ness of movies. The fine culture of the film. We, we get deep. Oh, you know it. We, we, we get deep and we go hard. Except for me, I get shallow and I go to sleep. <laughs> and what, you know, what, what's a better topic for our first episode than the universe? The entire universe. All of it. All of them. The multiverse, if you will the the cinematic multiverse that's right everybody <laughs> today on make movies we're going to be talking about oh i thought you were gonna say oh I, I i wasn't <laughs> you, sure you had a face you looked like you were gonna say something <laughs> the fidget spinner cinematic universe <laughs> No, but real talk. Uh, yeah, we ha- we are going to talk about the new up and coming trend, supposedly, of the cinematic u- universe uh, that seems to have been brought forward by the Marvel franchise. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna we're gonna look a little deeper, tell you about some research that we've done, and uh, discuss the implications of what this whole universe thing might mean as in like death and philosophy uh, and ah uh, 42 i think i think the best place to start with something this universal oh my gosh is at the beginning oh my gosh on the eighth day god <laughs> said let there be the cinematic universe <laughs> <laughs> And it was good. This is the the big bang of uh, movies. Oh, baby. (laughs) Uh, So, 
so I've I've done I've done some research. I, I've looked into it. I've gotten a lot of examples of uh, the pre-Marvel cinematic universes of the past. And so it's a multiverse. It is a multiverse. It's it's a multi-universe. It's, it's a multiverse. I found some people in my research who were arguing that the idea of like a, a shared universe goes back further than any film versions of of the idea and it goes back as early as like the 1920s if if not earlier with people like hp lovecraft uh who in uh writing you know who in literature would be would would reuse uh places and reuse people reuse monsters things like that across multiple stories but moving moving out of the old media and more into film this this idea of like a shared universe wasn't really seen until the 40s when the universal monsters uh sort of like pseudo franchise um because they were basically just a bunch of loosely if not not at all connected movies uh, that had been um, in production since 1923. Uh, in in the in the 40s, they started having crossover movies like House of Frankenstein, uh, House of Dracula, and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, where they were just <laughs> big, big. Yeah, yeah. In uh, 1948, Abbott and Costello had a movie that had I I believe not just Frankenstein but also Wolfman and Dracula. They were all in it. They were all in it. Yes, it was a big crossover. Oh, it was a monster orgy. <laughs> yes, yes. Wasn't um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein kind of on the tail end of all this though? Like when it was yes. starting to sort of wane in interest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the the whole big Universal Monsters sort of franchise um, more or less died at the beginning of the '60s. Um, but there weren't really any more big crossover movies after that one. As far as I could tell, that was pretty much the last big one. And so, yeah, it was definitely when it was waning in popularity. But as far as I could tell, nothing like that had really ever been done uh, like that in film before. Probably just because uh, in, in Hollywood especially, everything was run by, you know, the four or five major studios... And they they were the only ones who would have enough manpower and money and time to even conceive of making something into a franchise at that point in time. Because it was still, you know, film was such a young medium at that point. You know, I mean, by the 40s, of course, it it was down more to a science than it was in like the 20s or the 30s. But it basically they were still figuring it out. You know, I I find it like I don't know. I, it's hard to think that. Well, what was his name? Millier. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think it was Millier. I uh, a trip to the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's hard to think that he didn't do that. I mean, I guess we don't mm-hmm. have I like most m- of his work. Most of his films are lost. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. It's just like that seems like something that he would have done. Yeah. Like, and it, like, his movies, I don't know if it's just because it's this, like, stylistically, 
But he had, like, so many, like, innovations when it came to film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to think that, like, he didn't do that. Especially, mm-hmm. like, having... Well, no, he was... he Was he pre-Lovecraft? No, he was, like, contemporary to Lovecraft. Okay, he, yeah, he, yeah. he was, like, the teens in the 20s. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe. I, I, I mean... The only reason I bring it up is because stylistically, mm-hmm. his movies, like look alike I don't, right, it, it right. Can't, that n- doesn't necessarily mean that they're all in the same universe and in, in any capacity right but I, I don't know just like stylistically but that's style i mean mm-hmm. like that's gonna happen like i mean when you watch a david lynch film you know <laughs> david lynch made this movie so right but also i mean some something that i find really interesting about um universal even taking the gamble of having any sort of shared universe as early as the 40s is that's still you know three to four decades before anyone has even conceived of um the idea of home media so you know from when you look at uh films from that era even up until like the 60s um you're looking at stuff that was never designed to necessarily be screened again like so it's almost like you're looking at something that was given to the audience and basically like, if you miss this... Like, you might get the chance to see it again, but more than likely not. But also, in again, like, considering, like, if there is a any kind of correlation between movies, mm-hmm. like, ra- like, I mean, were sequels a thing? Sequels were I don't plentiful, think... yeah. What's that? Sequels were plentiful back then. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they at least had this like continuity, right? So for them to take it a step further and say like these two movies are related, not in the sense of a sequel, but like this thing is something that can come from this other thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty cool because you would have had to pick up on that, right? At in that moment. Right, because you wouldn't have been able to go back and necessarily look at the other thing, Mm -hmm. the other movie. My thought is, um, was the movie-going experience um, kind of fully formed before the 40s? Um, So I would think, like, in the teens and 20s especially, it was a new thing. It was like, you know, it was was like going to the theater. It was... um, a singular experience it was a night out and as far as like casual movie going i don't think that would have been in place for at least a couple of decades so i'm thinking that around the time the universal monsters started having the shared universe that was when um the idea of casual movie time would have um, been in place where you know families would just go to the movies on a whim um and it was less of a a big deal Yeah, I I mean, and that definitely makes sense if you consider that 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 period coincides with the end of World War II, where um, Americans had a lot of expendable income because we were in like a uh, uh, A surplus. What's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we 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 had a we had a surplus of of wealth, and our economy was booming because of the war. So everybody had the free time and the disposable income to do stuff like that. Yeah. That they wouldn't have had in the 30s. 
Mm, because oh, no. because of the I depression. Mean, yeah, it was we were poverty stricken at that time. Right. America was at least. Um, my dad mentioned you know growing up listening to things to uh, to like it, it. I guess it makes sense for the evolution of universes to go from like written media to cinematic media because that's what a lot of that was back then because back then they had novels and then they had like serials and magazines they had radio plays and and so on they had comic books that are all you know that kind of you know i find this kind of thing more common in literature so it made sense to do that crossover when movies were a budding media yeah. So from that perspective, taking that cro- taking that crossover to a new level, I mean that d- that makes sense for them to have done that at that time. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of it, you know, my dad grew up during that time and he mentioned, you know, his he he and his family gathering around the radio when it was time to listen to you know, certain radio plays. I think he mentioned specifically listening to the Green Hornet and and things like that as radio plays and i i think that's sort of a similar concept so it makes sense for them to try to use this like written form and audio form and sorry that sentence was terrible um makes sense for them to try to integrate that into into cinema during that time yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense because it's it's like you're saying, it was kind of, uh, I mean, there were already like decades of work behind, er, prior to that, of trying to establish um, film as like a serious art form and trying to figure out the common, uh, you know, techniques and, and effects and everything that people would use to pretty much create the, the language of cinema. But, but by this point, it was becoming a more popular medium it was in vogue yeah yeah and so it was it i think yeah you're absolutely right like it it would make sense to go to whatever the newest frontier was you know Mm -hmm. to to try and have those kinds of crossovers like you're saying definitely so where did it go from there okay so after that um i couldn't really find another um uh, american or like english uh speaking big franchise until the 60s but before that uh in in japan you had uh with toho which was one of the big four uh studios over there you had their their kaiju movies which uh took things in in a lot different of a way as far as having a shared universe um because they were similar to the universal monsters in the respect that pretty much everybody got their own movie like yeah, Godzilla and Mothra and Gamera and all of them. Um, all these guys who would have their own movies, but then they would have these big uh, crossover movies that almost, in in my limited knowledge of <laughs> of the the kaiju universe. <laughs> well, no, actually, I was gonna say in my in my limited knowledge of the uh, wrestling. The, the, the world of wrestling, it, they almost felt like crossover events in that respect. <laughs> I, I thought you might have something to say about that because they th- that's that's what it felt like where they were pro- just producing so many movies in the fi- in, in the 50s and the 60s and I mean all the way up 
to, to present day where before home media, you know, we're still talking 20 years before uh, the VHS became a thing and like 30 years became, before it became popular and cheap to the point that people were using it um, commonly, you're basically just talking about uh, people being able to say, oh yeah, man, but did you see when this one guy fought that other guy? <laughs> oh, I you see. You know, and just having like crossover events that they're obviously in the same universe, but they don't necessarily have a bearing on the serialized story of the whole universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I actually watched quite a bit of kaiju uh, growing up, so I, I definitely know that. And they, they definitely weren't interconnected um, as far as the story. It was essentially like, like you said, they established these characters in their own movies, and it was like, oh, let's see what happens when Godzilla goes up against blank. And uh, it, it wasn't, like, part of a story, which I think, um, I'm not sure if that really classifies it as a shared universe in the same sense that we're talking about, in that it's uh, a cohesive storyline. Right. But, uh, but it's almost like... Because they were experiment like... The stepping stones. Yeah, these are, like, the experimental stepping stones that led up to the, the modern-day cinematic universe, you know? Yeah, so... Um, in this time, wouldn't we have um, been kind of getting more into the TV era where a lot of these uh, these cheap Japanese movies were, like, dubbed and sent over? Or, or are we getting more into the 70s there? That's, that's like, more into the 70s, but there's, there, there is actually something that coincides with that. Yeah, okay. Um, in, in, in respect to the kaiju thing, actually, uh, if, I can, if I can interject for a second there... And that's that in, I, I learned that in uh, 1962 originally, but then again in the 70s and I believe in the 80s, um, uh, RKO Pictures, the, the people who own the rights to King Kong, licensed them to Toho so that in 1962 there was a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. And then later in the 70s and 80s, there were a couple more that involved King Kong. So it was like, even 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 more greatly expanding the universe, you know what I mean, beyond just the creations of Toho. But what were, what were you gonna say about them? You know, uh, localizing the the movies for for TV and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what what you were saying about uh, the movies essentially being a singular experience prior, um, like I think that um, you know we didn't have vhs videos then but we did have tv and a lot of these things got licensed and ported over to tv um you know and again i think that's a little more in the 70s with like you know the kaiju stuff as well as like martial arts films and that sort of thing um but essentially just this cheap stuff getting sent over to us um and i think really um kind of created the experience around those so it was it was less of a movie going experience at that point is what i'm trying to say yeah i can i can totally get where you're coming from with that especially because um as you go even further uh into the 80s and the 90s with with toho's uh kaiju um endeavors you you end up seeing where there is more of a serialized aspect to it where movies are actually getting sequels especially in the 90s where i believe it was rodan had three 
like back to over the course of three years there were three back-to-back movies um probably because home media was a thing and it was so cheap by the mid 90s to produce and to sell vhs's that by that point you could tell more of a cohesive like ongoing story you know within within a universe like that so so then um this is a, a, again like a really it it's not it <laughs> this, this is almost just kind of like a like a side note or like a footnote i feel like because it's definitely not a cinematic universe in the way that we think of it now uh i wanted to include it though because it does feel like another experimental stepping stone towards what we have now and that is in the 60s and onwards the the james bond series because i think that was the first time that you really saw i mean obviously there was stuff earlier on um in the 40s and the 50s where you would see uh films with recurring characters like charlie chan or things like that where they would produce like 20 films like year after year following the same guy but this was the first uh franchise to my knowledge where you saw the same character uh portrayed by multiple actors over time and in fact you know multiple characters being portrayed by different actors over time but also um the reason that i wanted to include it as a shared universe thing is because some of the like lesser villains from some of the james bond movies would show back up in other movies so they weren't totally insular stories at this point like there there was an episodic aspect to it you know where it was just like oh man what's james bond gonna do this time what gadgets is he gonna have this time who's he gonna go up against but then there would be callbacks to the other movies you know through the villains or through the gadgets or through the actors you know being the same for five or six movies at a time would uh would it be fair to say that was uh kind of the inception of um a shared universe within a big budget range i think that would be fair to say yeah so i, I mean with movies you know in the 20s and 30s you know you had your big budget movies here and there but for the most part movies were pumped out as cheaply and as quickly as possible that was, right that was why there could be you know 50 universal monster movies you know they just churned them out so uh i i think uh i would think that with james bond when you know you're getting into more of like a let's actually give this a budget and time you know that's uh that would definitely be a turning point i i yeah i would agree with that I, I do want to interject, since we're talking about the 60s, I, I do want to take this moment to bring up Star Trek. Okay, um, yeah. Which I, um... <clears throat> nerd, nerd glasses. Um, <laughs> which, let's, I mean, let's, uh, that is a, a cinematic universe and a television universe, both, that has spanned multiple been over 50 years at this point and i think that was probably one of the that happened around the same time as the james bond movies i'm not sure which one was first but you know it's those movies are all interconnected and that's probably one of the longer running ones with more um, content i would say 
Yeah, I would say Star Trek and Doctor Who are probably tied for that, as far as longevity and number of spinoffs. Yeah. But both started as TV shows, which gave them more of a grounding to begin with, um, rather yeah. than strictly movies. But Star Trek didn't really take off until it hit the movies. In the 80s, right? In yeah, the... The, the first movie is, I believe, the late 70s, right? Yeah. Okay. So Star Trek 70... the movie came out 77, kind of in... 77, 78? I would have to I would have to cross reference because I, I think it was post Star Wars. Um, I will have to look into that. I um, could be wrong, but... because Star War the first Star Wars movie one was that Star Wars was seventy seven. Star Wars was seventy seven, and um, Star Trek ran I believe until sixty six. So Star Trek the motion picture came out in nineteen seventy nine. And so 1979, and then I'm, I cannot recall immediately off the top of my head, um, but the, the original series movies were still coming out on a fairly regular basis into the 80s, at which time 1987 occurred and Star Trek The Next Generation came on as an expansion of that universe. So um, the movies, the Star Trek movies expanded on the TV universe and then the next TV series, The Next Generation, expanded on the movie universe, and and so on, um, up until even the last last year when we had the fiftieth anniversary of Star Trek and another Star Trek movie in a slightly altered universe. So, and that started, you know, in the sixties and and seventies. And, I mean, I guess it did take a while from, for the TV series to move to the movies, but it really gained its, I don't want to, like, more mainstream pop culture popularity from the movies rather than the TV show. Zuh. Yeah, no, de- definitely. And, I, I mean, I think that that's really relevant because if we're we're trying to talk about it you know happening in other mediums as well before it really hit its stride you know just five years ago then i i think it's really important to talk about the the serialization of just stories in general like that because because you're right that one did make uh, a pretty big crossover into uh film over time and like you're saying you could even argue that because of what is discussed in the 2009 star trek um they are more or less a shared universe but you don't have to have or or like it is a cinematic universe but you don't have to uh, consume the entire thing to make sense of it basically that's true you can consume one of the one out of the five series or just the next generation movies or just the tos movies without any need to or or just the the new trek movies and you can take those you can pick and choose what you want to see they're all separately contained stories within the same universe and i think that point is something that is very important to make in discussing the concept of cinematic universe um, or shared universe within a medium or, or, or a multitude of medium is that this is what sets it apart 
from just strictly speaking cinema mm-hmm. from something like Star Wars. Yeah. Which is a, a it's a serialized story. Right. It it's, is a it's linear. singular ling- linear narrative that is going in one direction. Now I I know with um the the newest iteration with Rogue One, mm-hmm. um, I think you could possibly make the argument, possibly make the argument mm-hmm. that that is like the uh, the beginnings of it uh, becoming its own cinematic universe because that is not something that's part of the the narrative uh, that we have been given up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still uh, in the universe of that narrative. Uh, we just don't follow the same characters that we have been the whole time and it's something that you don't have to have the original if you want to call it that narrative in order to understand and i think that is an important point to make is that you do not need the whole in order to understand the parts right that's what that's what separates this kind of storytelling from something that's wholly linear yes right and that actually it's good that you brought that up because i think that star wars is a super interesting example uh pretty much for that reason that it's like it has this huge expanded universe in other media Mm -hmm. other other forms of media and they're more or less turning it into a cinematic universe at this point because they're you know they've there was rogue one which basically ties into the linear timeline just at a different place with different characters but they've already confirmed that there's going to be the Han Solo movie mm-hmm. uh, next and, you know, how many ever other ones. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I think that Star Wars is a particularly interesting example is because George Lucas actually originally wanted it to be a serialized thing that followed the Skywalker family, but that also had spin-off stories. He envisioned it as a cinematic universe because he was inspired by serialized TV shows like uh, Flash Gordon and things like that so he was like hey yeah i think his original plan was for 12 movies over the course of like 1977 to 2000 or something like that and i think like six or nine of them would be about the skywalker family over multiple generations and the rest of them would be side stories that were just set in the universe that had nothing to do with it just to build the universe Mm -hmm. so it's like now that disney controls the property property they're kind of like returning to that original vision in a way but in some ironic twist of fate right because it they're not doing it for the reason that he intended it he just wanted to like build this universe originally yeah but now it's like that's that's the way to succeed at building a franchise so that's why they're doing it Mm. it's almost like he was ahead of the game kind of yeah It, it just never worked out that way no no so moving right along yeah 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 and so also though going going off of what adrian was saying um i had put down that uh in regards to seeing this this move towards uh having you know a a shared universe with multiple different plot threads going on you saw in the 90s in in television uh the basically like x-files universe which which went on to encompass uh four shows which was you know the x-files the uh, unfortunately only one season uh lone gunman uh millennium which i think ran for three seasons three seasons and then how many three it was three 
it, it was three mm-hmm. and then uh harsh realm which was like canceled in its first season <laughs> so but y- you saw um all of them you know were orchestrated by the same guy the uh chris carter the the showrunner for x-files and he was just like hey but i want to show other parts of this universe that have nothing to do with the fbi necessarily and nothing to do with the x-files but occasionally they'll intersect um and and so in that way he was kind of ahead of the game like we were saying with george lucas but he was doing it in a medium which was much more um receptive yeah conducive uh to that kind of thing at the time you know because tv by by its very nature has less money put like it has a lower budget typically and you have more time to tell your story so you can build a bigger universe more easily just by the nature of what television all has to offer right as a medium right and then like i was saying before when you were talking about star trek in the 2000s uh when doctor who was rebooted there were a couple of other spin-off series that came off of that as well which pretty much all of those have been canceled by this point um but that it was it was kind of the same thing it was like seeing other parts of the doctor who universe um and this like like i was saying this is all pre uh marvel at this point still i'm i'm sure i'm sure that there are other examples uh that i've missed let us know in the comments yeah let us know of other pre-2008 examples of this but the last one um which in a way i think is kind of the most intriguing one in my mind uh because it's the most subtle before Marvel came, came along was actually the Alien and Predator uh, shared universe. Because, uh, so Alien came out in 1979, right? Correct, yes. Okay, and then Predator came out in the 80s, and then Predator 2, and, and Aliens and... Aliens was 86. 86, okay, so that came out after predator i'm pretty sure but matt said predator was 87 oh predator was 87 i I don't know why i thought it was 84 but so you've already got because that's when terminator was released oh okay okay that must be what i'm thinking of but then in 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 the midst of all of that you've got predator 2 coming out in 1990 and they there there's never in like an open acknowledgement of like hey Predator and Predator 2 are prequels to the Alien franchise, but there's the scene towards the end where the main character goes onto the ship of the 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 Predator who has been stalking his his city streets, and there's a xenomorph. Oh my goodness, there's a xenomorph skull in uh, that Predator's trophy case, and so it was just like this really subtle nod to like, hey, these exist in the same universe which of course was was capitalized on a whole lot more in 2004 and 2007 with avp and avp2 i i don't know i i just find i i find that one like super intriguing because it's like it's almost like it's just an easter egg until you know 14 years later when the first alien versus predator movie comes out but it that uh, predator 2 came out a year after the first alien versus predator comic which obviously 
with a comic, you know, with an American comic, you've typically got only, you know, four to six people working on it total between writing and inking and drawing and everything, um, and, and coloring rather. Um, so it's a whole lot easier to just be like, okay, well, we're going to put these two franchises together. Uh, but then the very next year you have that happening in the movie and it's like, oh, well, this is, this is part of the universe now. I believe it actually was kind of put in there as an Easter egg. Like it wasn't an intentional, um, setting up for the franchise. It was just the effects guys essentially saying, you know, Hey, let's see if anybody notices this. (laughs) And you know, the, um, various mediums kind of took that and ran with it. A lot of that expanded in, in novels and comics until eventually it became AVP and ADP Requiem. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing about it is that it kind of evolved generically from this idea, like this one tiny detail. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily like a setup. It was, you know... S- something that kind of got people's imaginations churning and uh something that was explored in the comics and i'm sure like you know novels and things like that um which you know let's let's be real if it's not a big budget cinematic movie it's essentially considered fan fiction or at least on that level so it's, it's not considered canonical until it's on the big screen again that depends on the universe because if you look at certain things in the Star Wars extended universe, some of those things are considered canonical. Um, like the, the animated Clone Wars. Yeah, and some of the some of the novels I believe are considered canonical as well. Well, they were. Uh, there, there, there was a, a a trilogy of of sequel novels to uh, the original films, but now that Disney is making the you know the the sequel trilogy those those have pretty much been written off at this point yeah there's there's like an official um canon now in, in the books like what aren't the uh the unofficial ones still published but they're called like legends or something like that yeah i, I think something like that even though you know those those were written and published like pretty much right after return of the jedi came out because they were like well we're probably not going to make any more of these movies you know ha i mean and and thinking about it oh most of the franchises we've discussed thus far um have a significant written expanded universe Mm -hmm. as well pretty much all of them whether it's through comics or novels Star Trek, Star Wars, X Files, Alien vs. Predator, Doctor Who, all even and um, Universal Monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, James Bond was a book series first, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and so- genre stuff tends to lend itself well to that because uh, people that follow it tend to want to explore it much more. So I think like having sci-fi and horror and fantasy. Uh, and essentially be um, the the backbone of these universes makes perfect sense. No, I, I agree because I think that that's, that's one of the really neat, I, I guess kind of neat things that, that I learned through doing this research is that 
virtually all of these things are like you said they're they're all genre movies like james bond is arguably the like but even i mean even james bond is like really like soft sci-fi in a way because i mean because they're they're spy movies you know they're they're still genre films spy is a, a genre in and of itself I think. yeah yeah so none of them are like hard you know like drama or like anything like that well that, that could be a discussion would would a dramatic <laughs> cinematic universe actually like work for any reason or be necessary i mean i can't i can't think of like a I can't, I can really hardly even think of a non-genre movie that's even warranted more than a couple sequels. I mean, if we start talking about horror movies, I mean, we could talk about horror movies with this. Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Those two exist in the same universe. Um that's an that's a different one and that's definitely still genre. Um so it's interesting to think about that. It's very much a genre thing. How yeah. genre affects how it's made, basically. I yep. mean, people aren't going to go and see, you know, I don't know, a... Um... A Walk to Remember cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, who's that guy who did The Notebook? A Notebook guy yeah. cinematic the, the universe. The Nicholas Sparks-iverse. <laughs> the Nicholas Sparks universe. <laughs> no, I, I almost have to disagree. I feel like if you create a romantic universe, I can see people getting into that. See, I... I feel I feel like you'd have to have the right uh, person's name attached to it. Like I think, oh, what is what is his name? What is the guy who wrote The Fault in Our Stars? John Green. Oh, that. I think guy. I think you could make a John Greeniverse, and people would would dig that. We're basically, I guess, what we're trying to say is each story takes place in the same universe, but they right. aren't all necessarily and necessarily connected see right. i think i think that's like part of it too is we haven't defined what what is a cinematic universe that's the thing is i'm not sure that it really existed uh in the way we refer to the marvel cinematic universe until the marvel cinematic universe like there's there's I, definitely I, I would agree with that there's definitely precursors yeah. but i mean historically there's never been anything quite like what they're doing with it we don't we don't refer to Star Trek or Star Wars as the Star Trek or Star Wars cinematic universe, and in a way, the Marvel cinematic universe is distinct from what they're doing in the comics or in their TV shows, because the movies are all definitely connected, but they have purposely left out certain things from the comics or from the TV shows. In in a way, they don't really acknowledge what's happening currently in the marvel comics in the movies mm. yeah the movies are they are their own universe They're, they right. are their own universe there's more there's there's obviously you know many many years worth of marvel comic books that we could sort through but the movies are their own continuity separate from the comic books mm -hmm. and separate from other media and so does that it, it, like i mean is that part of the definition in that if it's a cinematic universe like is it restricted to cinema right like 
like the the Star Wars extended universe that you guys were referring to pri- pre- previously, does that stop Star Wars from being a cinematic universe? The fact that it exists in so many other media. That is also canon. Right. I mean, well, since they have taken the extended universe that was previously considered canonical and now they no longer describe it as canonical because they're working on an actual cinematic universe, it seems like they're trying to disconnect the cinematic universe from the extended universe. And so so that does evidence that something that is a cinematic universe has to be confined yeah. It has to be confined. It's, it, it's, it is strictly film. Film. And honestly, actually, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Uh, talking about Star Wars having this huge, huge universe and then Disney being the ones who are basically writing the rules because everybody else is struggling at this point to catch up with Disney because Disney basically wrote the rules with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they're beginning to mimic it or at least to kind of experiment with it with the Star Wars universe. So, yeah, I would say that that, if the people that wrote the rules are basically saying right there, hey, none of this matters anymore because we're going to do it over again in movies or we're going to do our own thing strictly in movies then yeah i i would say if it extends outside of that medium then it doesn't count well and also the evidence of of marvel excluding all of the different tv shows yeah i mean i i do think that um like some people would argue that some things are considered canon Mm -hmm. from the tv shows so i think that might be a gray area Mm -hmm. um but it seems like the ultimate conclusion is that from from what we can tell at this point a cinematic universe is just that it is cinematic right and only that yeah because in i mean and you you guys correct me if i'm wrong because i i have not watched any of the marvel tv shows but the the way that i understand it is that it's kind of a like a what do you call it a a, a one way mirror or like it, it's it basically flows one way where the stuff that happens in the movies affects the tv shows but then the tv shows have absolutely no bearing on the on the movies like the tv shows are like oh yeah the movies are canon but then the movies are like what are you talking about as far as the tv shows go um yeah in a way i, I would agree with that because obviously a show like agents of shield has is affected by the movies and you'll see agents of shield like the the events of the movies reflected in agents of shield you don't really see that quite as much in the netflix shows daredevil jessica jones there's hints there's hints there's subtle nods to it but agents of shield is the most direct yeah the netflix shows are kind of their own thing and i sincerely doubt that they'll ever be integrated into the cinematic universe I don't think they're going to ever put the... Def- I think they're going to leave the Defenders as a TV universe rather than ever integrating them into the, the cinematic. The, yeah. We might see Coulson show up 
again in another another movie. But I don't think that they'll integrate the other characters, even though I would love for that to happen. Um, it, I don't believe that they'll ever integrate that into uh, the movies. So, yeah, they're basically running two, like, two separate universes here, or minimum. Yeah. I mean, they're all in the same universe, but the movies don't really acknowledge the TV. They definitely don't acknowledge the comics. Yeah. I mean, I think that segues right into the present day. So, I mean, why why don't we, if we're already talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, why don't we just go ahead and jump right into that? Jump. Right on in. What the fuck is he doing? (laughs) What happened? It's Connor. Can you hear him clanging around? Yes. Yes, I can. The, the metal bowl was, like, on the edge of the, uh, the dry food bowl. <laughs> so he, just, he was just, like, he was just, like, face chomping into it and just clang, clang, clanging. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good segue. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a clanging cat bowl on the universe of life. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> it's noisy and hungry? Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. Anyways. Well, how about that? And what happened as a result of it in terms of other people trying to mimic their success and what worked and what didn't work? Or what is working and what is not working, basically. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the first thing I can think of is DC very obviously trying to copy their uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Pretty shitty. I mean, Would you say that they're succeeding? No. <laughs> I mean, no. Their most successful movie to date, um, both critically and, well, critically at least, um, financially also, is Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's on its way to financially. Finan- yeah. And they weren't banking on that for some reason. I mean, and... They, they weren't expecting that to happen. They expected the um, successes to be Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. And then so they could segue into fucking Justice League. And apparently Suicide Squad 2. Oh, jeez. Which is a fucking tragedy. And, and the way that I think that's similar is that they're excluding specifically the TV universe, which is kind of its own universe. It's referred to commonly, I believe, as Arrowverse, because Arrow was the first DC television show right. to kind of ramp up to success, followed by The Flash, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow. But they're totally excluding that universe and making the DC Cinematic Universe its own thing, even though they already have a successful TV universe. And some of the same character, The Flash, is going to be in both the TV universe and the cinematic universe, played by different actors, which to me makes right. no sense. There's no but reason does, for them to keep that. That, that doesn't make sense, but it does lend evidence Again, to our definition that the cinematic universe has to be in Ex- exclusively, exclusively film. Yeah. 
I mean, that that was their choice, though. They're purposely excluding a successful uh, television franchise. Well, I I think part of that comes from the fact that DC has been playing catch up from the from the get go, because I don't think prior to the the success of the Avengers, DC was in any way banking on doing the the, the same thing. Uh, Man of Steel didn't come out until a full year after Avengers and between Man of Steel and Batman v Superman was a full like three years so DC was just spending all of this time in in not development hell but just they, they were in limbo yeah basically in limbo where you know Marvel had had what they were going to do they had their plan of attack from 2008 when Iron Man came out because you look at uh, interviews with Edgar Wright uh, when he when he left Ant-Man because you know he was originally going to write and direct it he had been signed on to do it from from day one from like 2007 or 2008 he had been developing that movie for almost 10 years as a part of the MCU before anybody had anybody outside of Disney obviously had any concept that that was going to be a thing so then you have dc you know sitting around with their thumbs up their butts yeah and then just trying to play catch up which you know i i the reason that i think that ties into the tv thing is because at that point dc was like oh shit we really need to like get our asses in gear and if we're asking people to not just watch the movies, but also the TV shows, then we're demanding a lot of people who are already invested in this other franchise in in Marvel. You know, that makes that that's actually a good point. Mm. Almost like you only have to watch the movies, right? Like we're making it easy for you. The thing is, with the DC universe, they're working with exclusively well-established in pop culture characters. Whereas Marvel has brought in characters that not everyone would know. Yeah, they've got their Iron Man, they've got their Captain America, they've got their Hulk and Thor, but they also have their Ant-Man and their Inhumans and Black Panther, Captain Marvel. These are not characters that are as ubiquitous in culture as superman and batman to be fair yeah. superman and batman do have a much longer lineage like we're, we're talking at least a good three or four decades more of superman batman before most of these marvel characters even happened agreed but yeah i i yeah i was gonna say that too like i mean i feel like batman and superman is like they are like you do not have to have read comic books to know Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Batman, Superman, I, and Wonder Woman transcend genre to the point yeah. of being a fixture mm-hmm. and I would argue in pop that, culture. Go ahead. They're just a fixture in pop in pop culture. They are, and I I would argue I didn't know Iron Man, Captain America. The only one I knew was Hulk. And that was because the previous movies. I mean, but I, this is coming from somebody with absolutely no 
previous exposure at all to comic books, I Mm -hmm. knew who Batman was. Right. And Superman. But, I mean, like, that... I, I don't know. Like, I just feel like... Like, in talking about, like, the ubiquity of these characters, I feel like, uh, again, like, DC's already in a a different place than Marvel Mm -hmm. because they are using characters that have more of grounding in a general audience, which is kind of interesting that they're not doing as well. But that's why they've been able to stay afloat, because people know these characters I, I don't know, like, that's just kind of my take on it. Like, uh, for me personally, because I, I know absolutely nothing about comic books. Like, I am, like, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I have not read a single one. Mm. I mean, that said, it's like Marvel has been able to integrate these lesser-known characters into extremely successful movies. Yeah. And, I mean, look at Guardians. And look at, look at Guardians. That's a great example. And... So that's a flaw on DC's part to be able to fuck up so royally that people don't like Superman. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, Spider-Man? Spider-Man, in, I In did terms know. of ubiquity. I, I did know Spider-Man. I'll give you that. Yeah. But again, I mean, we're looking at characters that have already been pre-established in their own movies prior to this, like, surgence of cinematic universe yeah. i mean how do i know spider-man i know because of toby Maguire. i mean i mean how old was i when that came out i, I don't remember it was but 2002 like, you were 10 oh 2002 so yeah 10 so i was 10 yeah i mean nine I, nine, nine. earlier in the year i was a wee babe <laughs> yeah i mean but like, but if you didn't have that and it were earlier if i didn't have that like like look at eight-year-old me I mean, I probably knew Spider-Man, like, from, like, a TV show or, like, maybe my dad talking about Spider-Man. But I'm not, like, exposed to these characters. Like, and I feel like with DC characters, I had more exposure simply because they have more of a background yeah. in, Cause, cause they're in older. mainstream culture. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I don't know, like... What significance that plays, other than I think that might play a role in why DC still has is still like somehow making money. Hmm. Uh, I mean, because they still are, right? I mean, I'm not. Oh yeah, no, they've turned a profit on every single one of these four movies. That's what I thought. These and these movies are are crap. I mean, with enormous budgets, enormous budgets, and they're they're garbage. Sans Wonder Woman. Yeah, and I and and like we talked about in a different episode, not on the podcast, but uh, just in a live stream or something like that. I mean, we enjoyed Suicide Squad, yeah, like because of how kind of ridiculous it was. I, but yeah, and I, I I enjoy I enjoy Suicide Squad as a case study of what exactly not to do when trying to make a film like this. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, the, these movies are. almost unanimously panned by audiences i mean yet they still turn profit people are still going because you know who batman is like you and that's the difference is that you go to a marvel movie because of what they have done 
Mm-hmm. You might not know who the fuck Ant-Man is, but you don't give a fuck who Ant-Man is because you want to know who Ant-Man yeah. is. Like, Well, yeah, because even... Uh, I mean, Marvel, Marvel's been willing from the beginning to experiment with lesser-known characters because, yeah, Iron Man is a well-known character, and Iron Man's been around forever, and Iron Man's been a member of the Avengers for 50-plus years, but... Iron Man, in the grand scheme of things, is a lesser known, or was a lesser known Marvel character prior to the explosive popularity of Iron Man in 2008. It wasn't that much of a gamble. Like, it was a gamble because they were taking kind of like a B-list hero, almost, in in, in the public consciousness. Maybe not in the comic book enthusiast consciousness, but, you know, they were taking somebody who, like, you kind of know who that is. But like you don't really know. Well, his name his name ends in man. Yeah. So. Um. He must be somewhat important. Right. So like they they took someone like that and then they were like, well, let's see if we can <laughs> make a half decent movie out of this. And they just kept doing that. Yeah. Instead of banking on the name alone. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. And I think that's what sets Marvel apart is that they actually make decent movies. Right. Even if they're formulaic as hell. They know how to make a good movie. And they know how to um, cater to a, a very broad audience. Oh, yeah. We, we should talk about the other current ones, too, though. So the the other two, though, obviously, are, are the weird product of comic book movies becoming a, a marketable and a profitable thing in the early 2000s. Um, so other companies trying to buy up the rights to them and still maintaining those rights. We're talking about the, like, X-Men... I actually don't know what the, the, the proper name for it is, but I guess just, like, the X-Men cinematic universe and, and the failed Spider-Man cinematic universe. Um, both of which were attempted products of the, the Avengers' success, because... You had X-Men, which had been going on since 2000, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was, it's, it's, again, it's one of those franchises that whether or not it's just based on name alone, every single one of those movies has turned to profit. And there's been like 13 at this point. Even uh, X3? I'm pretty sure it turned to profit. X3 uh, probably turned to profit. X3 did extremely well. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Probably because... X1 and X2 were, were so good, good that, yeah. Yeah, to the point that people wanted to see, you know. So post, uh, or rather, okay, take a step back. Before the Avengers, you, you saw the idea of um, Fox, who controls the X-Men franchise um, and has since the, the first movie. They were like, hey, but what if we do some standalone movies uh, starting with X-Men Origins Wolverine, which totally bombed. And then they were like, yeah, but we could, um, or at least it critically bombed. I'm sure it made money. But then they're like, well, we'll just keep making Wolverine movies, you know, instead of trying to focus on other characters individually. But then after Avengers, you see Fox saying, hey, well, what, what else do we own the rights to? Oh, Fantastic Four. Let's tie that in and make that part of the universe too. And so, before Fantastic Four, um, 
horribly, horribly failed and was critically panned, they had already planned at least one other movie, uh, Fantastic Four 2, which would kind of integrate it more properly into the X-Men universe because they were like, hey, we control these different properties. properties, And then you also see after Avengers that Fox is re-exploring the idea of doing individual movies like the Gambit movie and and things like that like they're willing to take those kinds of risks again because i mean disney's doing it and it's working and that that can work provided they take the properties seriously and not just churn them out um right like they i mean deadpool was a huge success because they say true to character and they didn't have to you know neuter his character to appeal to the PG-13 audience. So I think provided they take the the rights to the character seriously, it can be successful. But they need to do it thoughtfully and creatively and not just churn it out and expect it to be excess on, a success on name alone like they did with Superman. Uh, Superman. Spider-Man. The, the yeah. Andrew yeah. Garfield Spider-Man movies were garbage. <laughs> right, right. they were like, oh, but it's going to be fine. Be- even if we make a shitty movie with horrible effects, despite its huge budget, because it's Spider-Man. Everybody loves Spider-Man. Spider-Man right. merchandise. Here it is. Backpacks, lunchboxes. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the uh, the downside of the movie industry as a whole. Is like, it's an industry. It's you know these these movies are supposed to make money. It doesn't. Whether or not they're good is kind of an afterthought. And uh, especially when you're getting into cinematic universes and companies trying to play catch-up, they're not so concerned about are we putting out good movies so much as are we on schedule. Mm. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. And that's... I, I think that that ties in really well to <laughs> you just mentioning the amazing spider-man movies because the original amazing spider-man came out in 2012 like i think the same month as the avengers if not like within a month of it and you know avengers blew up and everything and two years later 2014 when amazing spider-man 2 came out right before or right at like the weekend of that the release of amazing spider-man 2 they were like they, um, Sony, um, who controls Spider-Man, was like, hey, everybody, guess what? We got, we got Amazing Spider-Man 3, we got Venom, we got Sinister 6, there, there was, like, uh, the potential of a Carnage movie, like, they were just like, hey, guys, here's all the stuff you have to look forward to in the next, like, two or three years, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna do all of these, and that was, like, (laughs) you know, within a couple months, it was obvious how everybody had had turned on them because it was like because of Amazing Spider-Man two, and you know within oh god when did oh Civil War came out in two thousand sixteen so within another two years of that they had totally dropped that franchise and rebooted it again so that it could tie into a more successful franchise, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is it it. it it's kind of astounding because 
you really do see that sense of like looking for that profit and and the looking for the the marketability of it in that proposed franchise that never came to be the the thing is that they were like i was saying they're not banking on people going to see these movies because they're good they're banking on people going to see them a name recognition and b uh just the sheer volume i mean if they put out six spider-man movies chances are you're gonna go see at least one or two of them and right that's just that's just such a cynical and short-sighted way of making movies like oh the cops coming for you <laughs> yeah they're on to us <laughs> illegal podcasting <laughs> um but uh, yeah i mean that's that's really what sets marvel apart is they had this plan in place from the beginning you know everybody else is trying to catch up to what they did because i mean nobody really banked on this working until it did yeah yeah marvel's like the equivalent of like somebody setting up like a ramp and a flaming ring and a couple of cars and saying all right, who wants to backflip over this? And Marvel says, hold my beer. <laughs> and, yeah. and they did it, and everybody's like, holy shit, that worked. And then Fox is over here like, yo, me too. And then he crashes into the flaming ramp and rolls on the ground on fire. <laughs> yes. I don't know where I was going with that, but essentially it, it was just such a daring thing that nobody thought would work. It, not even as well as it did, but at all. Right, and because of how well it worked, it, we're only five years later. It's it's only been half a decade, and now it's the norm. Like it's what's expected. Like that 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 rapid of of a change is just like incredible. Honestly, is it, I mean, do you think that? Because I. I I guess we kind of briefly talked on touched on this, like with the whole talk of genre, but like, I mean, obviously, the adaptation of comic books lends itself to this, because comic books have shared universes. Right. So I mean, it, it it's it's coming from. I would assume it's coming from the original material, mm. like this concept. Does this work outside of that? Like, with how we're seeing Dark Universe or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that is. Like, it, is this going to work when the comic books aren't the source material anymore? I guess it remains to be seen, but again, it has to be done thoughtfully. It can't yeah, just... Yeah, I agree. Like, here's the thing about the Dark Universe. Like we mentioned earlier, Universal was the first to kind of put that shared universe together. Which is ironic because I don't think anybody wants the Dark Universe to happen except for the people that are profiting from those movies. Like, have you... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I have not met... Uh, a single person who has said i am hyped for these movies <laughs> yeah uh, like what are the movies and i'm sure there are people who are and that's great what are the movies that have happened so far we have the frankenstein one with aaron eckhart 
Oh, no, actually. Actually, in doing the research for this, I learned that uh, Dracula Untold and the Frankenstein movie, those those have totally been scrapped now. The Mummy is the first movie in this franchise. They're starting, oh, like, they were trying to start, and then they just kind of decided, like, no, screw all of that. This is the that start. Was a, that was a practice swing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> Which, that in and of itself already feels like a sinking ship. Like, it already feels like they're, they, they've hit the iceberg. First, I, I just want to say, I had no idea that this whole Dark Universe thing was a thing. I did not know that this mummy thing that's happening right now was supposed to be part of a bigger universe. I don't know if it's just bad advertising or the fact the movie looks like shit and is getting critically panned <laughs> or um, or what. But I did not even know that that was a thing. I didn't even know that's what they were trying to do. All I know is I saw the trailer for The Mummy and I was like, who the fuck asked for this? <laughs> Well, I think that that's the general, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, Consensus. Of yeah, of how people feel towards the dark universe in general. That that's the thing is that I feel like the advertising, like, you know, in in interviews and everything, they they've been talking about this, like, oh yeah, it's you know, it's the dark universe. It's gonna be a cinematic universe. It's that's going on, but in the advertising for the mummy, they. There's, there's none of that. It, it makes it seem like it's going to just be a standalone movie. So it, it kind of feels like they're trying to sucker the audience in by being like, hey, you remember the mummy, you know, from the, the, the Brendan Fraser movies that you loved, like when you were a kid or, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, here you go. Now they're dark and gritty. But come to find out that, like, um, I, I'm sure I, I haven't seen the mummy personally. But I'm sure that there's other stuff going on besides the, this in there. But I do know that uh, Russell Crowe's character in it is uh, Dr. Jekyll, who I'm assuming is going to have a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie later on. So they're already, like... I, I mean, obviously, they're already building it up in the first movie to be a shared universe. But it kind of feels like they're trying to do it, like, on the sly. Like... Kind of like, hey, it's its own movie, but not really. I think it's really important to note that somebody like Adrian, who is very kind of entrenched in movies, doesn't know about this. I mean, <laughs> you are doing it wrong. Like, not not Adrian, obviously. Like Adrian, you're watching the movies wrong. I fucked up, y'all. I fucked up. Like, if... if if somebody who like watches movies, like 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 a lot, doesn't know that this is happening, then Universal has done something gravely wrong. I mean, that's the thing with Marvel. Like from the get go, we all knew mm -hmm. this was coming. Yeah. Like whether or not we believed it, from from day number fucking one, it's been there. And that's where all the other ones fall flat. It's like we keep saying, they're trying to play catch up and they're doing a piss poor job of it. 
Like, I need to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that your cinematic universe is, in fact, that. You know, uh, you know what's a good comparison to? When we yes. went to see The Hobbit, and at the end of it, Adrian was like, wait, are there more of these? <laughs> <laughs> I was pissed that I sat through three fucking hours of that movie <laughs> to find out that I was supposed to see two more. Well, I was like, just you be- could have done this in two hours total. Yeah. Well, just be glad that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's son, Chris Tolkien, hates Peter Jackson and is probably never going to let him buy the rights to the Silmarillion so that he can make the Lord of the Rings cinematic universe. Thank Jesus. Because you know he would at this point. I'm kind of surprised they haven't yet. Honestly. Oh, no, no, no. no. Chris Chris Tolkien Tolkien would never let that happen. He... He abhors Peter Jackson's version of Lord of the Rings. If you look into interviews with him, uh, his quotes about Peter Jackson and Peter Jackson's vision of Middle-earth and how he feels like Peter Jackson has tainted the popular view of Middle-earth, he fucking hates that guy. He, yeah. he, he didn't want the Hobbit movies to get made. You know, like, he... Respect. Oh, man. Yeah, that... And, and and that's him that's him saying that about the the good movies. That's him talking about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, arguably some people think the Hobbit movies well, are good. No, I I know, I know, but like <laughs> the Hobbit movies didn't need to be a trilogy. No. <laughs> no, they absolutely did not. That's that's really the thing with this, all these cinematic universes is they're not necessary. It, Can, yeah, I, I, like do we need these? I yeah. just want to say not every fucking thing needs to be a trilogy. <laughs> that That's another one that I would like to discuss at some point. Oh, trilogy that, that's that you one. could have done in one movie. Yeah. Because that annoys me. With some things it's appropriate, and with other things it is not. The Hobbit being a big one. Yeah, like, it, unless it's something you're incredibly invested in, then it sucks to go to a movie knowing that you have to go to another movie. 